I'm Vince. And I'm Travis. And we're about to ruin your games and stuff. This is Travis! Welcome to Undesign. Well, hello, Travis. How you doing, Vinny? Hey, man. I'm pretty good. I'm ready to talk about another thing today. We we talk about things sometimes, so uh, I'm glad to hear that you are prepared for such things. I am. And I'm What's excited. My, uh, oh, go wait, ahead. Wait, wait, wait. You're excited about this one? All I right. Am. Cool. I really uh, am. So, so uh, you know, I rolled this up this morning. So t- tell us what this is about. All right. So our question today is, was the D20 revolution a good thing? Yeah, that's that's the topic. That's, uh, that's definitely a topic. And um, I mean, uh, most of the most of the, you know, this generation of gamers is going to understand what we're talking about here. It's basically like a thing that happened in what, the early 2000s, I guess. Yeah, so um, so let's let's talk about what it was first, right? Because that that should be the first thing. What? Yeah. So what happened, Vince? What 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 the hell happened? Uh, what was what was the revolution? The revolution has begun, and revolution. it will be televised. Uh, all right. So let's jump back to 1989. Whoa, what? That's right. Okay, Wait, that seems a little, a little earlier than I expected. But all right, it was. So let's go back to 1989. So in 1989. Jonathan Tweet makes a game called Ars Magica. And in that game, yes, indeed. he sort of introduced this unified D20 mechanic. It wasn't like games didn't use D20s before. Obviously, D&D used D20. Sure, yeah, Distance. lots of games actually use D20s, yeah. But this was the idea of a sort of unified system around a D20, where the D20 kind of governed all actions around some kind of unified, um, algorithmically expressed you know, bonus structure, right? So mm-hmm. everything was sort of success or failure based on a D20 plus or minus some number. So that bounces around for a little while in various games and incarnations. And Jonathan Tweet eventually joins the uh, development and design team for third edition Dungeons and Dragons when it moves over to Wizards of the Coast. And they make a version, the third edition of Dungeons and Dragons, which was... which that was did, late 90s, I think? Yeah, late 90s, basically. Yep, nine, like it was designed in 98, 99, and it was published in 2000. And that was, uh, so that's, uh, you know, Jonathan Tweet was one of one of three people involved in that. There so obviously the, had a big hand in, in where the direction that took. Yeah, oh, to be clear, there were like hundreds of people involved in the design of 3rd Edition, but he was one of the three credited main designers. Anyways. Right, well, that was, that was the first, like, that was the, where Wizards of the Coast got involved, so things changed, so yeah. Yes, correct. So at that same time at Wizards, there was a man named Ryan Dancy, who is who by his own uh, moniker is the most dangerous man in gaming. And he's a super nice guy. He's helped me out with a lot of different things. Did you give yourself this name? And uh, yes, he did. Uh, And very, very cool guy. Um, Somewhat divisive figure, but he he has done a lot for the industry. And uh, he basically sold wizards on doing uh the third edition of Dungeons and dragons under what was known then as the open game license and still is to this day because it's still valid yeah so that was a that was a basically a creative commons thing right yes exactly that's exactly right it was basically putting the core of D under creative commons right and that would mean and and the way that the ogl is structured the open game license ogl is structured it can never be invalidated. Right, and so this will last until the end of time. Correct. It is good forever. So 
What happened is you had the combination of a Creative Commons license entitling anyone to use all the core of, of Dungeons and Dragons, the biggest name in role-playing, right? And I mean, it just is. It was like the number one game pretty much always. Um, there's a couple exceptions, but pretty much always. Uh, combine that with this new D20 system, right? That D&D is, that's its platform. So you had the new architecture and the new way of sharing it. Those come together in third edition Dungeons and Dragons at, at basically the end of 2000, early 2001. Mm-hmm. And then it was, a, and then that's the revolution because it became available to everyone. Yes. Um, everyone. Right. Everyone. So, and that, and therein lies the revolution. And I don't know, to me, it was, I mean, was it a good thing? Well, it's definitely a mixed bag, like anything like that's going to be right. You're going to get, there's going to be some positives and some, and some negatives, some big ones. Right. Um, for like first, first in my mind, um, it gave tons of developers, you know, and 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 game writers, uh, designers that would otherwise just completely go unnoticed. Um, it gave them a platform that was relatable and already had an existing market, right? Yep. And if you like, if you saw a D twenty symbol on a book as a consumer, you knew exactly what you were getting into. You knew how it worked, basically. Um, while um still still like while while at the same time have access to like exciting new things that would never be published by Wizards of the Coast, right? Like Wizards yep. of the Coast wouldn't wouldn't go anywhere near a lot of the stuff that was being being developed. Um including like new genres that had never been never been touched by like a D twenty style system, um, and interpretations of the already existing genres like a fantasy, like the really gritty fantasy and, and sword and sorcery stuff was starting to become available. Um, and you could play that stuff like it was D and D. So that was excellent, right? Yep. Um but at the same time, like <laughs> in spite of the uh the embarrassment of riches, right? The market was just like flooded with garbage. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So this yeah. is the other side of that coin, the mixed bag. Um, just flooded with garbage that should never never even seen the light of day. Um, I, I would say like like Dubious was the name of the game at the time. If you picked up some one of those books with the D20 again, the, that little symbol on it, um, you were either in for a treat or the worst pile of shit you, you'd ever spent $30 on. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it might be best. Let's Let's cover some factual things that happened, right? So like... When we're saying, is it a good thing? That's sort of a normative claim. People could have different opinions on it. But here are like, here are some facts that happened, right? Uh-huh. Okay, one, a ton, as you mentioned, uh, absolute metric ton of, the, of these books got published, right? So many game books. Yes. That is not up for debate. That happened. Um, and exactly as you said, I could walk into a game store and I could know because of that symbol on the front that I already understood the core mechanics of this product. Yeah, just immediately relatable. Right. It also meant that smaller press publishers could exactly, as you said, explore concepts that wizards wouldn't touch. Not just because um, maybe it's taboo or something, like the oh-so-famous book of erotic fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah, but it, but but th- things that just wouldn't be big money makers exactly like they just wouldn't see them as money makers like wizard of the coast that giant that titan of gaming at that time wouldn't see it as a viable way to to grow the business yes correct because 
the idea is, um, you know, what a small, like what we, you know, we as Ventureland Games, like when you and I publish a book, right? What we need to sell to be successful is a much, 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 much tinier number yeah, than that... what Wizards needs to sell to be successful. So if I right. can find a niche audience, you know, who happens to love the combination of like sword and sorcery and laser guns and mm. humanoid uh, cat people. I may yeah, the, na- the name of the game is tight focus for a small, yes. a small gaming company like, like Venture Games. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I could be successful with that. Wizards couldn't because they need to sell X tens of thousands of copies of anything, right? Mm-hmm. Given their production costs. Just, 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 to, yeah, just to cover their daily running costs. So yeah, yeah they, have right. to, they have to really, really take care of their, of their, their brand. Yeah. They've got like health insurance, a marketing department, right? Like they've got mm-hmm. stuff. They got to pay the bills. Um, I don't. So, you know, that all happened. So that's a lot of the, uh, of the things that did happen. Um, so I just wanted to lay that groundwork. Yeah. Um, I think, I think like the next thing that comes to mind for me is that it allowed like a, um, we all got the ability to take a, a, a deeper look, like a deep dive on the rule set that was being used by, by what I would consider to be the majority of RPG gamers at the time. Like everybody was playing D20. It, it was just a fact. Like everybody played D20 that I knew. Um, even if it wasn't their primary mode of gaming, they still have played it and had some kind of interaction with the D20 system, like just D&D, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, and that, again, was another mixed bag because, you know, fringe consumers and, and uh, the outside developers outside of, like, Wizards of the Coast were finding all the bad things about the system. You know, like, we had we had a chance to find, like, poor implementations for, for modern weapons and things like that. Uh, I heard. I, I remember hearing people complain about the scaling math in the system, and the way it just didn't work out well in the long run. Lots of other little nitpicks that added up to like a really flawed system um, in the end. Um, but I think these also those that, that shit also gave insight on to what needed to be fixed, how to avoid that kind of shit with the games that you make and other people make. Uh, the games that came out, you know, directly after that. That's that. That revolution, I, th- I think it ended somewhere in the mid two thousands, right? Like it that, that stopped being a main thing, right? Um, yeah, you had I like I agree. It's funny because exactly as you just said, there's a there's a there's a good side and a bad side. As, as with most of these things, it's a double edged sword, right? The um, good side. How many times have we had a mechanical system explored this deeply, right? Right, like the, never, never. The designers all across the the world were taking it and running with it, right? And just exploring all this different stuff you could do with it. Um, yeah, they were really grinding the millstone on it. They were just seeing whatever whatever you could possibly do that breaking it in every way possible. Yeah. Yep. We had a previous episode talking about the old school Renaissance, right? Yeah, sure. That that was one implementation that 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 survived the it, uh, the revolution. Actually, exactly. It grew out of the fact that suddenly people were allowed to access most of D&D and their core terms, right? And use them freely because you were allowed to change math and have different calculations here and there. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden I got access to freely use things like hit points and AC and, you know, all this junk that is sort of the the baggage of D&D. So that was very revolutionary. So you had people just really, really... Uh, exploring the design space, yeah, of a pushing system in a way you never had. Yep, and then and then flip side, you had sh- just complete and utter garbage, like the, you know, 
Like uh, what, what I considered like the worst of that of that of the revolution was just the uh, the stuff that would that would be if they were applications they would be considered bloatware or shovelware or whatever. Sure. Stuff like the big book of feats and the big book of NPCs or yes. weapons, lots of weapons. Sure. Um, th- those aren't actually real titles, and if they are, I apologize to their to their writers and developers. I'm just using them as a generic example, but that's the garbage that that really was just everywhere too. So. I, I I don't know. They they tend a lot of them tended to be really poor cut and paste jobs, you know. That had no no regard for balance or common sense, and were just money grabs, right? Yep. Um, now kudos to the people who who put them together, though. I mean, I guarantee they made some fucking cash off of that stuff. Sure. Um, because because people were grabbing for for whatever was coming out. Um, because you walk into your game store and see what what used to be one one single bookshelf of stuff. Instead, became like a wall of D twenty books. Yep, yep, absolutely. And oh, I'm so glad you just said that. Okay, because that tees up exactly one of the points that I want to talk about. So most of these things had some good and bad, and like all that rush to market of all those books was satisfying that need, that bubble, right? Because all these players flood in who are suddenly like on this game system. Um, 2001 or two, both probably were two of the highest years, uh, of for, for player growth. Yeah. For, for growth and for sales adjusted for inflation in D and D's history. Okay. Because of very, I mean, Wizards of, the, Wizards of the coast had, had their hands in so, so many other things yep. that they had the ability to bring in these other new players too, which just it increased it. Yep. So you had this explosive growth and all these new players are hungry, right? They want content. They want. Like they got money and they want to spend it, so why not spend yep. it on this stuff? Because Wizards also hadn't released a huge number of splat books, like the big, like you talked about the lots of feats is the name of the book. Yeah, yep. Right? They hadn't released a huge number. They had introduced the idea and the players, and maybe there was like one or two other books at this point that contained feats. Yeah, it was a couple of years we started getting those 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 splat books. Right. It took a while, and so all of a sudden, like the market just had this insane hunger and it It caused a bubble certainly. And that's exactly who really got hurt Mm -hmm. to to connect back to what you just said, the retailer, right? Because of the nature of the distribution model of, of games. Yeah. They have to buy all this garbage. Like the the stores have to buy this garbage. Um, And then, and they don't get the luxury of knowing what's garbage really, you know, they just have to buy it and then throw it up on their wall, up on their shelves, buy more shelves because there's too many books and then hope, just hope that some of that sells enough of it to cover the original expense. Um, And they didn't have a choice because if you just carried just just the D&D stuff only, like uh, it wouldn't be enough. People would go elsewhere to find their D and D books because there wasn't a selection. When yep. when the people who were buying this stuff knew the selection was huge. Yep, exactly. So you had this this very tough situation for the for the friendly local game store to navigate, right? Because yeah, it was a problem. They everybody who walked in. If you've got the wall of D twenty books, right? Everybody who's walking in isn't going to like the lots of feats book. Like one person wants the lots of feats, one person wants the lots of NPCs, yeah. one person wants the lots of adventures, one person wants the guide to being a necromancer, one person wants uh everything about sewers. Yeah. You know, but if you if you own a bookstore, you don't buy just one book. You don't buy right. one of each. You have to have stock. Exactly. It's rough. It's really rough. Yep. So they had to get 
a couple copies of everything or whatever. And then what's going to happen is maybe they sell one. Uh, and so they ended up like in the long run, they ended up taking a bath on this. They took a bath and then, and, 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 but that normalized it again, you know, that, sure. that, that problem normalized the situation, I think, yep. um, in the long run. Yes. Um, but, but some things did survive, which is excellent. And in, in, in the long run, if we're, if we're going to take this at, at a wide, at a wide, um, viewpoint, just sure. uh bird's eye view. I mean, I think it, it ended up being a good thing overall um, because, uh, I mean, we got some great stuff out of it, like like the um, the like stuff the we talked the old school Renaissance, and we got some some nice stuff like three point seven five or whatever the hell the like Pathfinder Pathfinder yep, survived sure. and thrives to this yep. day, um, which is which is great because people love that stuff. So all right, you know what I mean that that made it. Um, there there has to be some other examples that I'm missing. Um, I, what, what are, are there a couple of other good D20 examples that still survive? Sure. Well, well, I have perhaps a, a, a perhaps a slightly adjacent item. Okay, it gave an entire new crop of designers a chance to get their feet wet and design when they already had a starting point. And I will absolutely count myself among this because this is what I had wanted to to do stuff for a long time. But the D20 revolution is what prompted me to publish my first book. Right, some. Uh, more than a dozen years ago now. Right. They immediately gave you access to a skeleton to start with. Exactly. And like, you know, you and I have talked about the writing exercise before, uh, like in Finding Forrester, right? Where yeah. you start with an existing thing and you kind of start writing off of that prompt and then you go your own direction, right? It's a very yep. common writing exercise um, because it, it helps you get your creative juices flowing. It can deal yeah, with writer's block. It teaches prompt. you structure and, and form. Yeah. And in this situation, it's one of the best prompts. It's a great prompt. It's a, it's a well, well tested and well-defined prompt. So, yep. Um, that anybody can start from. So yeah. And that I was think, another good thing. Yeah. Um, I think this acted like that for game designers. I think there's a lot of people in the industry now who, if, even if they didn't start there, it was a way where they got more recognition, right. By, actually doing something that wasn't just lots of feats right they actually used yeah. it to to make a quality product and other people in the industry recognize that and so those people kind of you know uh they were the cream of the crop and they rose to the top right so there you go um yep and 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 lots of examples still exist today so something good came out of it um, yes whether whether or not it tips the scale i'm not sure you know um because like whether it tips the scale between what 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 crashed during that period of time and and then the longevity of what's come after, um, so I don't know. I I still I feel like it's a mixed bag. I would say eh, one out of five. No, <laughs> I would give. I mean, it's like a three three stars, three out of five. You know, it's it was a pretty good thing. I think. I I think so too. I think in the end, obviously, it's a mixed bag. It's it's you'd you'd have to be crazy not to say that there weren't dark sides and downsides, yeah. right? But when I look at it, what I think is, on the whole, it was better that it existed than it didn't. Like, the existence of Pathfinder, oh, yeah, yeah. huge. The existence of the OSR, huge. The existence of, like, even take something smaller that still survives and thrives. Like, Dungeon Crawl Classics, right? They got they got a lot of recognition doing that, exactly as you said. Sword and yeah. Sorcery stuff for D20. Now they Man, do it for 5th edition, too. I love those products, too, guys. People, go check out Dungeon Crawl Classics. It's good stuff. It really is. If you... If you if you've got a if you taste, like old school, yeah, like it. sword and sorcery. It's ooh, 
It's it's a it's a wonderful bitter taste. The bitter taste yeah. of watching your characters get brutalized. Yeah. Um, you know that came out of it, right? So there's just so many good things that came out Which of is it. Goodman Games, I think. So shout out yeah, to them. Good job, Goodman Games. Absolutely. Yep. Um, the I think the the bad consequences were mostly short term or have passed. Right. We did. We don't. Like it sucks if you're that person yeah. who took a bath and that was your game store. Sure. Nowadays, uh, game stores are running are are having are running into other obstacles that don't really have anything to do with D twenty system right. stuff. So, yeah, they're they're not dealing with that hurdle anymore. Um, so that's gone, and um, we we now already know, like we we know the limits of these rules, um, and it's collectively known because of the internet. Um, it's collectively known what's good and what's bad about these these uh, three three point d twenty style systems or whatever, and so we know how to compensate for it. And new writers can can do whatever they want with it, so uh, it's good. Yep. Yeah. There you go. I think the good con. So basically, my my summation would be this: the good is still with us, and the bad has passed. So on the whole, I'm gonna say it was more good than bad. There yeah, you go. It's tipped right over, right over into the good. So uh, I would say it was the D20 revolution a good thing. That was undesigned. Undesigned. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you next time. And sorry for the last episode again, because that was that was. I'm sorry. <laughs> We'll keep apologizing, but this is probably the last apology. Until the next one. See you next time. Sorry. Sorry.